0: Good morning. Believe it or not, I'm not up here for, uh, for more announcements. I'm actually um, taking Blake's place this morning. My name's Chris Pletcher. Some of you guys uh, know me. A lot of you probably don't. I'm actually the youth pastor here at Southwood. I, uh, yeah, that's right. Some applause. It's a first. Um, so I, I get to work with the junior high and high school students over here and uh, an awesome group of college volunteer leaders. And I love my job. I'm so thankful to get to, to be a part of this community, and and of this church. So you might be wondering how they would let such a young man up here to preach in front of all these people. I'm not sure, but it has something to do with multiple baby due dates to Southwood staff all falling in like a two-week period. So uh, as our Southwood family grows, new people get new opportunities, I guess. So uh, here I am. But I definitely consider myself to still be, you know, figuring out this whole life thing. I I turned 27 next week. So uh, it sounds kind of old to me, but I'm guessing most of y'all would say that's pretty young. Um, I'm feeling okay about it. But um, you know, so far in life, I think that I've, uh, I think I've caught on to at least, at least one of uh, kind of life's big paradoxes. Isn't it interesting how we so quickly forget things that we thought we would always remember? Isn't it interesting, have you noticed how how easy it is for us to lose sight of and forget, whether it's experiences or or lessons learned, things that we thought we would always remember? Before we know it, we have a hard time recalling them. And I'm 27, this shouldn't be a big problem for me yet. But, um, for example, I recently experienced one of the most amazing days of my life. My wedding day. Today actually is the three month anniversary of me being the luckiest man in the world. Here's a picture of my beautiful bride. Okay? Um, there actually were people at our wedding. This was beforehand. Okay? Um, it's okay. Um, so, three months ago today, she walked down the aisle. We held hands and uh, exchanged vows and then ran down the aisle, party time. It was, uh, it was awesome. Here, y'all should look at that again. Look how excited she is to be my wife. That's great. Man. Man. Our wedding, our wedding was incredible. My sweet wife, Arlene, is sitting over here with the youth group, actually. She is a volunteer leader with the high school girls here at Southwood. And our wedding really was, it was everything that we had hoped and prayed it would be. It was just overwhelmingly special. The family and friends and just the, the presence of God in the, in the middle of it and it was, it was incredible. And all culminated in this moment where you saw it, we held hands, looked into each other's eyes and we exchanged these vows. No words are weightier in a man's life. No promises more staggering, no intentions more clear. In front of my family and friends that day, I vowed to love her until I die. Yet only three months into our marriage, only three months into our marriage, there are already moments where I have a hard time remembering that day, where I have a hard time remembering the way that I felt. Even in that picture, as she walked down to me. I have a hard time even remembering the, the words that we exchanged. And this was just three months ago. I mean, this is I hear, are supposed to happen later in marriage. But, I mean, this was three months ago. And so, I'm curious. For, for those of you probably have a handful of married people in here, how many of you guys remember your wedding day? What was the? How about some specifics? All right. I appreciate the participation. Thank you. <laughs> what was the weather like? What? Um, how did you feel standing up there in front of everybody? Did you recall that emotion? Do you know what your vows are? Do you remember them? Some of you may have them printed out somewhere and you reflect on them often. Do you remember the words that, that you exchanged on that day? Now, obviously there are a lot of people in here that aren't married, so um, let's kind of broaden the spectrum a little bit. How many of you guys remember your first day of junior high? All right, I think that hits about everyone in this room. What was the weather like on that day? What did you feel when you um, left the safety and comfort of your parent's car to walk towards this new foreign building and start your first day of junior high? Who was your first teacher? Now obviously your wedding day is far more significant than your first day of junior high. Actually some of you guys are probably trying to forget your first day of junior high depending on what your experience was like. But your first day of junior high is, is relatively trivial. It's not that big a deal. So if you forget it, it has no daily bearing on your life if you lose sight of your first day of junior high. It affects me none that I can't remember mine. However, my wedding day has huge ramifications on the rest of my life, and not just my life, but the life of another person. If I lose sight of the weightiness and the joy and the beauty of of what happened on that day, it is going to affect me from day to day. It could affect my marriage, my relationship with Arlena. And I think that illustrates a very simple principle that the more significant something is, the more important it is for us to remember it, to hold it near the front of our minds. Because the benefits of remembering it will be greater and the consequences of losing sight of it will be greater as well. Let me give you a couple more examples to track with me. I think you guys, are, you know, it's pretty, pretty basic, pretty easy, but think of the difference between remembering to fill up your car with gas and remembering that you're supposed to stop at red lights. If you don't fill your car up with gas, you might inconvenience yourself and waste a few hours of your day figuring that problem. But if you forget to stop at a red light or ignore the fact that you're supposed to, you could really seriously injure yourself or someone else. The consequences are greater. It's more important to remember red lights. Husbands, think of the difference between remembering that you're supposed to put the toilet seat down when you leave the restroom and remembering your anniversary. All right? <laughs> toilet seat, you get a shot at that every day, right? If you blow it, it's not the end of the world. You know, you might frustrate your wife a little bit, get a little, a little chatter, but it's not the end of the world. Okay? If you forget your anniversary, the only thing you're going to remember about it next year is the couch. That's it. The anniversary in Oakland comes around once a year. I mean, you get one shot at it, buddy. So it's a more significant event. The benefits of remembering it are greater. The consequences of forgetting it are greater. You know, we're all imperfect human beings, obviously, and we struggle to remember great and small things. And I believe that sometimes our forgetfulness is not just passive and innocent, but that it is indeed a symptom of a deeper flaw within us. It's a symptom of our imperfection. And I'm not saying it's, Sinful to forget your car keys or forget to turn the lights off in a room or something like that. I'm talking about forgetting weightier things. I'm talking about forgetting things that we all know we should remember. Things that shouldn't be hard to remember. Things like the sanctity of your, your wedding day or your vows. Things like the importance of your family above your career. Things like who God is. And what he has done in your life. Now I have found in my life that if I lose sight of these more significant weightier things. That they affect my life. The consequences of me forgetting, losing sight of are high. Our memory can, can greatly affect our lives. It's so funny. So I want to take a quick look this morning at, at the Old Testament, because I think that the nation of Israel in the Old Testament is like the poster child for the importance of remembrance, all right? Many of you guys are familiar with the history of the Israelites, but when I was in college, I was not. I was a, a New Testament Christian all the way. I read the New Testament, studied it, kind of understood it, but uh, Old Testament, man, I, di- I didn't get the big picture. I didn't, know, I, I didn't know why I came to church and you guys talked about Israel not Saudi Arabia or Jordan or some other Middle Eastern nation. I, I did not get the big picture of the Bible. Well, I've learned a little bit since then. So, so this morning, you're going to get a minor lesson in the, in the history of, of Israel and, and, and why I think they make a great case for the importance of remembrance. So let's take a quick look. The Israelites were simply descended from a man named Israel, right? Simple enough. Well, actually, um, his name was Jacob until he got in a wrestling match with an angel, broke his hip, and was given a new name. But other than that, it's, it's pretty straightforward. Um, they were brought into existence when, um, when God called an idol-worshiping pagan named Abraham out of his false religion, gave him a series of staggering promises that included his plans to reveal himself to a fallen world and to bless Abundantly bless a fallen world through the descendants of this man, Abraham. Now, Abraham's grandson was named Israel. So, thus, Abraham's descendants, Israel descendants, were the Israelites. They were a group of people before they were a nation. And God had huge plans, He had a unique relationship with this group of people that no other people had. So, descendants of Abraham. Received covenant promises from Him, this unique relationship with God, and they were chosen to be this channel of blessing to all to all the world. A lot of you guys are familiar with that. Um, it took me a long time to figure out what actually was going on there. The 500 or so years into their existence, this group of people, though they had multiplied and grown in number, still had no real semblance of a nation. They had they had no land, they had no constitution. And they had no freedom. They found themselves enslaved to Egyptian rule. Slaves in a foreign land. Doesn't sound like like much of a nation to me yet. But then in the most miraculous event of their history, God provided for the freedom and the deliverance of this group of people from Egyptian oppression. We've come to call this event the Exodus. Exodus the mass departure of, the mass freeing of two million people from hundreds of years of Egyptian slavery and oppression. On the day that they come out of Egypt, that the Israelites come out of Egypt, there was a man named Moses who was kind of the appointed foreman for the, the task of their deliverance. And he said to them, on that day he stood up and he said, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. Remember, don't forget, don't forget what you just saw God do. Two million of you, hundreds of years of slavery, freedom. Don't lose sight of that. This was the most significant event in the formation of this group of people, in the formation of this nation. So we should see massive benefits if they actually heed Moses' warning here and remember, and we should expect to see some consequences if they forget the significance of this event. Simple enough. So if you have a Bible this morning, turn with me to Psalm 106. For those of you who, who desire a greater understanding, I guess, of the big picture of the Old Testament. There's a couple places in the Bible that are kind of like the cliff notes of Israel's history, which is really helpful for somebody like me, Um, especially because the Old Testament's really long. Cliff notes. Psalm 105 and Psalm 106 are a great place to start. These two psalms together create just a big picture history of this nation. So this psalm, Psalm 106, was, was actually written hundreds of years later after the the exodus and is kind of reflecting back on their history. How did they do? As we look back, oftentimes we're able to look back in history and have a clear perspective of kind of what went on. And so this is what is happening in Psalm 106. It's kind of giving us a big picture. So read with me in verse 7. It says, "...our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works." They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled at the Red Sea. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love. If you're familiar with the story, not long after God leads this massive crowd out of Egypt, he tells them to camp by the sea. So they do it. They set up shop by the sea. And before too long, this massive group of people that is camping down by the sea, they start to see off in the distance This dust cloud rising. What's going on here? They start to hear the faint sound of chariots and the clanking of armor. This dust cloud gets a little bit bigger and it dawns on them that the Pharaoh of Egypt who had let them go has changed his mind and the Egyptian army now is in hot pursuit. They're coming after him. They're not too hot on the idea about these slaves being freed. And so they panic, and the stress, and the fear, and the heat of the moment, they panic, and what do they do according to Psalm 106-7? They forgot that probably just a couple weeks earlier, God had freed them from hundreds of years of slavery and had begun to lead them out. They lose sight of it, and it says they rebelled. This is amazing. They actually say to Moses in Exodus 14:11, "Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done in bringing us out of Egypt? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness." You guys were slaves. I mean, this isn't even a couple weeks down the road and they're ready to turn back to Egypt. They're ready to go back. It's amazing. Their forgetfulness, according to Psalm 106, 7, the root of this was they did not remember. Their forgetfulness turned into bitterness, grumbling right off the bat. They're already prepared to turn around. Well, it's still early. Maybe they're they're still just figuring this whole thing out, right? And God is very gracious and compassionate. And so we see, if you read on in verse 8 of Psalm 106, Read on with me. It says, Yet he saved them for his namesake, that he might make his power known. He rebuked the Red Sea, it became dry, and he led them through the deep as through a desert. So he saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. And the waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Then they believed his words and sang his praise. So despite their grumbling and rebellion at the Red Sea, God delivers them again. He's compassionate and gracious, slow to anger. So he provides for them. And then another miraculous event. Some of us in our modernized thinking, we're, we're so scientific, we got everything figured out, that we look at this and say, oh, okay, cute story, Chris, but doubt it. Um, I think this actually happened. And they saw it. And verse 12 said that they sang his praise. That they again saw the power of their God and they sang his praise great so they're given a new opportunity to remember but unfortunately read verse 13 i wish it wasn't there but what does it say they soon forgot his works amazing in the last couple weeks they have seen the single biggest emancipation of slavery ever and then god deliver them not only from the from the Egyptian Empire, but from the fierce Egyptian army. It says they soon forgot his works. Well, how soon is soon? Exodus 15 tells us three days later they were in the wilderness and couldn't find fresh water. And so they started grumbling. Three days later. That's pathetic. That's, ter- that's terrible. Based on what they just saw, I mean, if, if God can deliver them from what He just did, do you think He can handle providing them some bottles of Ozarka or whatever in the wilderness? You know, you think He can, he can take care of His people? But they, they forget. They soon forgot His works. And it, God is compassionate and gracious. He provides fresh water for them, but then they, they found something else to complain about. They start griping about food. It's amazing. They actually said to Moses, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. I can't believe you'd free us from slavery to bring us out here and kill us with hunger. Right? I mean, they they had totally lost sight of what God had already done, and they're grumbling, they're complaining. I mean, this is, this is amazing to me. Well, God is compassionate, seeing a pattern here. He provides for them despite their grumbling. And we've heard about him reigning manna daily, providing this bread for their provision. But then guess what? No surprise here, actually. Food wasn't good enough. They start complaining. Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost us nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. Notice what they said. We remember the fish. They don't remember the the shackles that were on their hands or their wrists. They don't remember the slave labor that was imposed upon them. They remember the fish. They remember how good the food was. Have you ever looked back on a period of your life that you know was a wreck, that you know was really, really hard, but you look back on it and you're like, that wasn't that bad. And I actually, man, I missed those days. Those were really good. But in the middle of it, it was, it was miserable. It's funny, the things we choose to remember. You know, I wish I could say it got better for these people, but it didn't. Actually, it gets worse. In Psalm 106, go to verse 19. Check this out with me. So they, they made a calf in Horeb, and they worshipped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. Verse 21, what's it say? They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt. So we've seen that their forgetfulness turned to this bitterness, this grumbling, this complaining, this dissatisfaction. But now it, it goes a step further. And their forgetfulness leads them to full out unfaithfulness, to full out idolatry. They forget who God is to such a severe extent that they actually make a metal image of a calf and worship that metal image as the thing that had freed them from Egypt. I mean, they're they're so... Off base here. And their forgetfulness had literally, with no exaggeration, led them into the biggest sin of the Old Testament idolatry. You shall have no other gods before me. Needless to say, their other gods failed them. And the consequences of this people's forgetfulness were devastating. Thousands would die from plagues in the wilderness because they forsook God and started worshiping false gods, started hoping in other gods. Many of you are familiar with, with some of these stories. An entire generation of these people would die in the wilderness because they forgot that if God could deliver them from Pharaoh in Egypt, do you think he could handle the strong nations in Canaan, the land that they were about to go in and possess? They forgot and an entire generation, because of their lack of trust in him, would have to face the consequences. God is gracious and compassionate, and he's faithful to this group of people, and he leads them into the, to the promised land nonetheless. And you've got a guy named Joshua who kind of leads them into this land, and finally, we've got a guy who does what? He remembers. Finally got a guy who remembers. And so for a couple generations with Joshua, they prosper. They come into the promised land. They begin to grow and prosper as a nation. Why? He remembered. Joshua chapter one said that he meditated on God's word day and night. You know, it's interesting. It's hard to forget who God is and what he's done when you're meditating on his word day and night. It's hard to lose sight of who he is when you're intentionally setting your mind on his word day and night. That's what Joshua did. Prosperity. Now, while, while Joshua's generation did well to remember God, they actually forgot to pass it on. So it says that a generation rose up after them that forgot Egypt, forgot the Exodus, forgot the Red Sea. And the generation after Joshua, they only progressed in their idol worship. And then from there, you've got the time of the judges. And the whole time of the judges was they would forget who God was, do whatever seemed right to them, rebel against God, and then end up being oppressed by the nations around them that they were supposed to be ruling over. And then only in the pain and the despair of their oppression, again, they would cry out to God. They realized, well, our false gods are not cutting it. What about the God that delivered us from Egypt? They'd cry out to God. God would free them from their oppression They'd experience a nice little phase of of peace, and then what would they do? Forget. And it would lead them back into this cycle over and over again. The kings of Israel, following the judges, they would lead the nation of Israel into prosperity or ruin based on this simple principle. Good kings remembered God, followed his ways, and led the people into prosperity. Bad kings lost sight of who God was, led the people to worship other gods, and the nation would go into ruin. Well, guess what? There were a lot more bad kings than there were good ones. And this group of people would be exiled from their land and almost entirely destroyed. Why? They forgot. God had huge plans See, it didn't just result in consequences for them, but it it kept them from being able to fulfill what God had intended for them. So let me humbly introduce to you my flowchart of forgetfulness, okay? I apologize for the cheesiness, but I'm a visual learner and thinker. So here's what I see. They're forgetful of God's nature and blessing. Their faith begins to waver. That leads them to become discontent, bitter, grumbling, they start to complain. Having forgotten God's goodness, they focus only in on the things that are hard. This allows the door to temptation to come open, because they're dissatisfied, they're unhappy. life's not good according to their standards. And so what is going to make life good? The door to temptation opens. Where am I going to find happiness if it's not here? Which leads them into rebellion. Sin seems reasonable. And if unchecked, which in their case it was unchecked, went into idolatry. And sin, idolatry, for them, led to consequences, judgment, discipline, pain, and eventual exile. Here's the thing, though. I look at this progression, and I don't think it's only their problem. I look at this progression, and it reminds me of somebody that I know really well me. You know, I'm baffled that they could see God do such amazing things and yet still complain and rebel and forsake him. But even as I read these stories and my frustration over this people, the things they said, even as my frustration rises, I know that this is just as much my issue as it was theirs. See, there are There are times, as I walk through life, there are times when I lose sight of God's goodness and grace, that it loses its place in the forefront of my mind. Whether it's busyness, whether it's stress, whether it's life change, challenges in marriage, sadness, maybe difficulty in raising kids, raising a family, whatever it is, something causes me to lose sight of the goodness of God in my life. And I start to fixate on the difficulties in my life. I start to fixate on the one or two things that I maybe wish were different or, or better or easier. And I become discontent. Having lost sight of all the blessings, I then focus on my difficulties and ele- elevate them to a place of worth that they don't deserve. And I start to grumble. I wish this was different or better. Maybe, sure, it's, it's internally at first, right? All of our grumbling kind of starts inside. But it's going to make its way out if you don't deal with it. And if I don't deal with it, if I don't deal with this in, internal discontentment, grumbling, complaining, oh, woe is me, my life is terrible, whatever, all this self-pity that we get ourselves into sometimes, if I don't deal with that, then the door to temptation, having been opened in my life, could lead me to, to think that now sin is reasonable. I'm not happy. God's not cutting it. I've lost sight of Him. And so... Um, Maybe something else will work. And in my experience, that has always and only led me to disappointment, pain. And if it is unaddressed, serious, more significant sin issues could develop. Issues that affect my relationship with God. Issues that affect my relationships with, with other people. Then cut me off from the life of that God would have me live. It's even more ridiculous, actually, for this to happen to me because I have seen and heard greater things than, than they saw and heard. Now, I know God m- did miraculous things in front of their very eyes, but we have been given a greater revelation. We have seen things and things have been revealed to us that were not yet revealed to them. And so it's actually more embarrassing that this happens to me than that it happens to them. You see, we've been studying the, the, uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. A lot of you adult small groups, college small groups, we've been going through it with the youth. We've been going through Ephesians. In the beginning of, of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he breaks out and this celebration of, of praise. He's just thanking God for everything in Christ that we have been blessed with. All the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, he says, belong to those who have Place their faith in jesus christ see that was yet to be revealed to them we have been given greater revelation in verse 7 of chapter 1 in ephesians paul says this in the midst of this celebration of praise he says in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of his grace redemption in the ancient world was this idea of buying somebody's freedom, of of paying a debt to release somebody from slavery. So in a similar way that God redeemed and freed Israel from slavery and then Moses said, remember that. In the same way, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that as he died on the cross, his last breath was not just a last breath. It was a down payment for the debt of my sin and of your sin. It was a payment to clean our slates before God and to free us from the most prevalent slave owner in existence. An owner whose name is sin. Christ on the cross, through his blood, purchasing our forgiveness of sin, allowing for our redemption. If you've heard of and and understood this great gift, then you have been recipients of far greater things than these people in Israel, the Israelites, ever did. Divine love, the forgiveness of sins, all according to the riches of God's grace, that he would love me fully and freely, regardless of my merit. We have received greater things than they. And so if that is you, if you have believed and trusted in that, then then we have got to fight daily against that cycle. So I'm going to show a couple practical things here that that we can do, I think, to kind of resist this progression, this downward progression. If you haven't, though, if this doesn't do anything for you, gosh, I, I, I hope and pray that maybe today would be a day that you really contemplate the ramifications of this. That God will become a man and provide a way for our reconciliation with himself through the blood of his cross, the forgiveness of our sin. For me, that's a really good deal. Um, Some of y'all know me better than others, but uh, that's a good offer. And I need it. So, if that's you too, today's a good day. Today's a good day. Yeah, I don't know what it is in life that that trips you up. And I don't know what it is that causes you to lose sight um, of God's goodness. Tying it back into my marriage with, with my sweet wife, Arlena. It is an incredible gift. Marriage is a wonderful gift. And my wife is a wonderful gift. Yet already, three months into my marriage, I notice myself taking her for granted. I notice that I don't fully appreciate her the way that she deserves. Now, if you know my wife, you know that that is nothing about her and everything about me. She is full of grace and peace and compassion and beauty. But things cause me to lose sight of the countless blessings that I have, first in Christ, but also in her, and to fixate on one or two things that maybe I wish were a little bit different and start complaining about those and so there are intentional things that i have to do to pull myself up out of that place and i don't know what it is for you guys it could be something different every month It could be disappointment with your career it could be frustration and raising kids it could be challenges in your marriage it could be a hundred different things but without fail things in this life Difficulties, struggles are going to come. Things in our life will cause us to question God's goodness towards us. Will cause us to question, is God really good? Is He really worth me following? Is He really worth me ordering my life around? Difficulties <clears throat> will cause us to lose sight of what He's already done for us. What He's already made known to us and question His goodness. And so we've got to be intentional and, and fight against that progression. So how do we remember? A couple of things as we wrap up. Um, the first thing, practice gratitude. Practice gratitude. There have been a couple of times in the last month of my life where when I get in bed at night, the, first, the last thing I do before I go to sleep is I make a list of five or ten things that I'm thankful for. Because if I'm practicing gratitude, if I'm focusing in on the things that I know God has already done for me and the goodness of who He is, the redemption that I have in Him, if I focus in and am thankful for those things, it will keep me from staying in this discontent, bitter place. Um, I journal a lot too. I don't journal. Some people journal so they can go back and look at it and, and read it and remembrance, which is a great practice. I journal because through writing I can steer my, my thoughts. I can steer my thoughts into truth. And so if I'm Struggling? if I've lost sight of God's goodness, then I will sit down and write and steer my mind the truth. Isn't it funny that we, we make books of remembrance for everything else in our lives? You know, weddings, um, baby books, right? We do all this stuff to help us remember these significant events in our life. Get creative with this. Maybe you... Maybe you keep a journal of all the, the good things that God has done for you. Maybe you take a picture at significant places you know, like, I, I don't know. We do it for everything else. Why wouldn't we do it for this? I feel like practicing gratitude is an offensive um, kind of action. You do it on the front end to keep yourself from falling into this progression. You see what I'm saying? But I think there's another practice. And I think it's the practice of Confession. Find somebody else and grumble to them, okay? Now, if you keep it internal, it's just going to fester and grow. So I'm not saying find somebody else that you can just sit and complain with. I mean, find somebody who, when you sit and complain, is going to remind you that you have been blessed out of your mind. And they're not going to let you sit there in self-pity and be like, oh, woe is me. But they're going to remind you who God is and what He's done. And I believe that this is a... Defensive action. Because without fail, you're going to get to this place at some point when you're thinking, Well, God's not that good. All I can see is the difficulty in my life. So have some people in place where you can be honest with you. There's a guy named Danny Stimson, a guy named John Yeager. They both work here at Grace. And every Monday morning we get together. And this is where I do that with these guys. See, I don't take my grumbling to my wife. It's not about her. She didn't need to hear that. Okay? I take my grumbling elsewhere and I deal with it with men that I know are going to point me to God's goodness and truth. And I'm telling you, in the last six weeks of my life, this has been huge for me. Because I'm a fool and I forget. I'm just being honest. Practice confession. The cool thing about this is that it, it's, it works in reverse too, right? Practicing gratitude leads you to remember God's nature and blessing, which strengthens your faith and, and brings you, even in the midst of difficult, I'm not saying life's all good right here, I'm just saying, you come to a place where you're at terms with it, you're joyful, you're content in this place, this encourages obedience in your life, you continue to walk in faithfulness, and as you continue to walk faithfully with God, it only brings more blessing. The cool thing about this is that it's all reversible. For the people in Israel, it wasn't just about avoiding consequences. It was about fulfilling the purpose that God had for them. It's reversible. My hope and prayer is the same as what Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 1. For this morning, he said, I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. He knew that his people were prone to forget. He knew that he had a bunch of foolish people in his church that were going to easily lose sight of who God was. And so he said, I need a you, and I want to stir you up. So I hope that you've been stirred up this morning with a fresh reminder of the goodness of God's redemption in your life. And I hope maybe that you, you have been able to identify with Israel not feel shameful or, or stupid about that, but just to... Let it be what it is. We are prone to forget. That is part of our imperfection. So we've got to take action to remember God's goodness in our lives. To fight against that. I appreciate you guys um, allowing me to come up and share with you all this morning. I love being a part of this church. A part of this family. And uh, I, hope you, I hope you've been encouraged this morning. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you so much That above all else, you have loved us. You have loved us first, God, in the midst of our rebellion and our forgetfulness. God, you pursue us relentlessly with compassion, with kindness, with forgiveness, with second chance upon second chance upon second chance. God, you're gracious and I pray that we would be stirred up as we remember that grace this morning. God, thank you for our time here. Thank you for these people. God, bless each of them. And help us remember you as we go from this place. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Have a good day.